Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. Good morning, once again. I am Janice Liebowitz. You are my People of the Book, and it is very、um, a very great honour for me to be introducing my guest this morning, Marion Schur. Welcome to the show, Marion. Thank you, Janice. I'm delighted to be here. And、um, for those who don't know, Marion is,、um, and I'm going to read this off the back of the book, an award-winning journalist, author, and media consultant who has written much about mental health over the last 26 years. And the book in question is Marion's book by the name of Surfacing. It's been published by Bookstorm, and it's it's a A beautiful book. I want to say it, it is about. It covers mental health, depression, all different types of mental、um, illnesses. I do need to say it is. It's not a depressing book at all. It's a very hopeful, inspiring, and uplifting book. And you're going to find out why during our conversation. It is essentially.、Um, what's unique about the book? It's it's eleven conversations, right, Marion? Eleven yes, conversations. Yes. That you had with eleven very different people from all walks of life, who、um, who were willing to share their stories with you. They've used their real names. They, there's no, it's completely transparent, and、um, all shared their stories that you've you've shared with us now in the book. And for people who who you know the the terms depression, mental health, mental illness, and all all the the different groups that that covers. Um, depression, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, panic disorder, anxiety, and and everything else that comes with that.、Um, that that's all spoken about in the book. I just want to give a statistic that is mentioned at the beginning of the book. The World Health Organization estimates that more than 300 million people worldwide are affected by depression, and I know that that the book was ready just before COVID hit, and was was that number before, after? I mean, did you add that in? That was actually before, Janice.、Um, to give you an idea, SADAC, South African Depression and Anxiety Group, who normally before COVID were getting around about four hundred calls a day, which is quite heavy,、yes. are now getting fourteen hundred a day. Good grief! So that gives you an idea. No, COVID made a big difference, but as you say, I started the book well before we knew anything about COVID, and finished it towards the end of I think the one or two last interviews just overlapped slightly、um, with COVID starting. So COVID didn't have an effect on any of the stories in the book, but since then it has. You know, I don't think there's anyone that hasn't been. You'd be almost inhuman if it didn't affect you in some way. Absolutely, you'd probably be living in a cave. Yeah. <laughs>、um, so, so this this estimate that the World Health Organization put out, it's probably es-、um, escalated hugely from、yes. from that number. Yes.、Um, and and we will give give the the hotline number of of SADAC during the show. And、um, High FM also has a twenty four hour helpline, and we'll be giving the number of of that as well. So. As I said, eleven very, very unique conversations. Very different people, all walks of life. Nobody is immune. 
no, from, from being not affected not. from from this type of and and it's an illness. And as you said, before you started researching this, and before you had your first conversation with someone about this, which was quite a few years ago, you you said you probably also would have been inclined to say to someone who said they were depressed that um, oh, you'll take them out for a meal or have a drink, you'll feel better. And I think many people are still inclined to say that. And no matter how much we talk about mental health issues and and how much we say that that mental health is as important as physical health, there is still such a stigma attached to to people who who seem to suffer from from these illnesses. And it is an illness, just as for any other illness, you would go to a doctor and treat yourself, and and people would. Um, would come around and bring you chicken soup um, and, and give you lots of TLC. For some reason, this is treated very differently and people kind of steer clear of you and treat you differently and maybe might look at you funny. And, but, you know, I find if, if people are more open about saying they go to a therapist or they're on medication and, but there's still a stigma attached to it. Why do you think that is? Yes, you're right. There is. Look, it is getting better, but very, very slowly. I mean, for instance, you and I both go for a job and you say to them up front, look, I have diabetes, but don't worry, I'm on medication. I say to them, I have severe depression, but don't worry, I'm on medication. Who is going to get the job? Absolutely. Now, that's why also a lot of employees are very scared for anyone they work with to know this or people in their families. What has been, I think, right from the beginning, I've been a journalist for 33 years and writing for newspapers, magazines. And what made me very interested in mental health, and I, as I, you rightly said, I didn't know anything about it before, um, was when we published a story on whether it was depression or bipolar, we would get a massive response from readers saying, thank you so much for publishing that because, you know, we thought we were our own and our families just tell us to get on with it, get over yourself, you know. Um, and this gives us hope. And that's, of course, you know, breaking the stigma. And that's always been behind whatever I've done is helping to break the stigma, getting people to... In fact, the book is all about getting people to talk about mental health. And I noticed, you know, as a journalist, people always say to me, friends and, and different people, oh, what, what story are you working on now? And if I brought up a mental health issue, there would be somebody, whether it was two people, three people, four people around a table, I know someone who or one of my family members has. And that's come out even more um, since the book. And I've had many people say to me, I'm so pleased you did. In fact, yesterday someone said to me, I'm so pleased you did the book because I was able to give it to a family member who didn't understand my depression and kept saying to me, you know, just get over yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, I think it boils down to as well. I mean, we all have bad days. So when is it more than just a bad day? Um, and then you need to know what clinical depression is. And as you said so rightly, it is an illness and it can be treated. Yeah, and I think a lot of the people that you, you did speak to in this book, a lot of the people who are involved here, what struck me is that many of them initially didn't think they needed to, to seek help. They thought that they'd be fine. They thought, oh, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I'll be okay. It's, uh, there's nothing wrong and I'll be okay. 
Absolutely. Only after having something or some incident pointed out to them or only after realizing that they had done something that severely impacted their way of life did they realize that they needed further help or they needed further intervention. Did they then investigate further and realize that something was severely wrong? Well, I mean, there's different cases in the book. One is the rugby player, AJ Fenter. Yes. Who, I mean, you know, there he is, a very handsome, tall, springbok rugby player, the epitome of what every man in South Africa would want to be. Looks like he's got the perfect life. Um, and when he had his first bout of anxiety, yeah, he was exactly what you've described. He thought, well, this can't be right. I am who I am. But then quickly realized he needed help and he got it. But then you have the opposite of that. Uh, you have the story of the wonderful, I think you always use that term, describe him, Daryl Brown, who from a very young age, um, he was a gay young man. He didn't even know the word gay. He grew up in a small town along the western west coast of the Cape and knew he was different. And, of course, he was bullied. And I, I do want to bring bullying in. That comes into yes. a lot of the stories. Um, and he thought, well, when I go to high school, things will be better because it'll be different people. And when he went to high school, things weren't better. And then he thought, well, when I go to university, it will be better. And it wasn't. And things, when I say things, I mean, his depression just got worse. And then he thought he'd go to London, where being a young gay man, he could live a freer life. He hadn't come out to his family at that point. He goes to London and studies further um, and meets someone. And he thought his life, this was what I needed to make my life right, a relationship. The relationship broke down, and there he was, found himself one Sunday afternoon. He didn't find himself. He'd planned to do this. He went down to a London metro station on a Sunday afternoon thinking, well, if he's going to do what he wants to do, he doesn't want too many people around. His shock horror for everyone. Yes. And he simply jumped in front of a train. In front of a train, that's right. And he didn't lose his life, but he lost his legs. He lost his legs, yeah. But he did. then he got taken to hospital. And for the first time, he was diagnosed with, of course, severe, severe depression. And for the first time in his life, in his 20s, he got help. Today, Daryl is in a wheelchair. He's back in South Africa. He's the most wonderful man. And he, he's living his, he really is living his best life. And he said, you know, his life turned around because he, you know, he got help. He got therapy. He got medication. So they're two extremes, you know. Absolutely. We're going to take a break and um, we're going to obviously investigate this further. We're going to discuss this further after this break. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. Marion Scher, and we are talking about her book, Surfacing, People Coping with Depression and Mental Illness. And I said I would give the number of SADAC, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. It's a 24-hour hotline. It's 0800-456-789. And then, of course, also our HIFM 24-hour helpline, 0800-242436. Marion, before the break, we were talking about um, AJ Fenter and we were talking about... Um, oh, his name has slipped my mind. Hang on. Daryl Brown. Darryl, yes, Daryl, Daryl who jumped in front of the train, Daryl Brown, um, who, of course, went, went 
right through his, his school years, his varsity years, traveled to the UK before ever being diagnosed with depression. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go through a couple of, of the standout conversations from this book um, that that are for me. And I mean, all of the stories are relevant. Um, I, I can't say that any of them are more relevant than others because they are all relevant and all all conversations about mental health, mental illness, and all different types of mental health illness are always going to be relevant. But the beginning of the book, you start off with with just a, an absolutely heartbreaking and, and shattering story of Diane Nardi's daughter, Tanil, who committed suicide at the age of 15. Yes. And um, Diane obviously never noticed the signs. And what's, what's also the other unique thing about your book is at the end of each chapter, you give a fabulous little toolbox, what you've called a toolbox at the end of each chapter about each particular story and tips to deal with each issue for the person who might be dealing with that issue and for their family and friends. Tips on how to deal with with what might crop up, signs to notice, things to look out for. And um, I think that's actually just brilliant um, because, you know, you're, you're chatting to these people and and they've obviously given insight into what what would help. Well, so, well Diane Nidu's case very much because um, after she lost her daughter – and let me tell you that we didn't use photos in the book. It was a decision, you know, some people would allow us and some wouldn't, so we decided not to. Her daughter, yes. this 15-year-old girl, was absolutely gorgeous, one of the most popular girls at her school. On the outside, one could see no reason why this would have happened. And Diane, you know, was of the opinion that she wants to stop other people going through this. So she is really happy to share her experiences. And give some of the tips. Um, my daughter, who had no choice, I don't think, but to become a clinical psychologist, <laughs> um, she did the tips, you know. Um, being a Jewish mother, I have to, you know, give my daughter a plug. But my daughter Alexa <laughs> wrote the tips. Um, and But some of the people, um, the late, I hate to say this now, it's the first time I've used the word late, Dr. Cindy Vinzale, being a medical doctor herself, yes. and her story of depression, I, I, I just want to say to the listeners, she didn't die from um, depression, suicide. No, she didn't. That. Sadly, she passed away last week um, from COVID. From COVID, yes. That was a Cindy, real battle. She fought a really she did, battle. Very much yeah. so. And, and Cindy did her own tips, obviously, somebody like that. Alexandra Wallace, which was a very important section. Um, I've had a lot of feedback on that postnatal depression. She has, because it happened to her, and again, nobody, everyone sort of told her to get over herself. Oh, you've got a young baby. You're going to be tired. But she went through absolute hell. I'm sure there's listeners listening that have gone through the same thing. And when eventually, and it took quite a while to get um, successfully and, and properly diagnosed with postnatal depression, she did a lot of her tips because now she runs support groups in yes. Zulia Natal. So it varied, but um, those tips are important just to give people ideas. Another um, comment I've had a lot is I saw myself in this chapter, that chapter. One woman said to me, I saw myself in every chapter. Um, and a lot wow. of people have bought it for family members so they could begin to understand mental health issues. Um, one one thing about Diane's story was, 
Uh, I mean, you, you obviously you feel for. I mean, it's something that mm-hmm. it's every parent. I mean, it's 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 worse than than a parent's worst nightmare. I, I can't yes. even, God forbid, imagine. But her daughter always seemed to have this obsession with death. It's yes, just, yes, she yeah. did. It was quite weird um, that she would listen to this quite morbid music. And but even then, you know, kids today, one could then say that every kid that wears black, well, they don't do it so much now, the whole goth look. But, I mean, yes. that isn't enough for you to think, well, my child, or they want to paint their room black, is is likely to take their own life. And it's unlikely, you know. Absolutely. But there and, are signs. Um, and I must say, if you, you know, even if you just Google or go to SADAG's website, you know, what to watch out for if you think your child would be in danger of this, you know. And it's absolutely. all there. And over the years, stories I've done on, especially on teen suicide, um, they're very clear markers that, that people do, you know, like giving their things away. And there's subtle, small things that one can be aware of. And, and those behavioral changes and yes. and things like that as well. Um, let's talk about um, Dr. Cindy Fanzale, mm. who, as you say, sadly did pass away. I mean, she was she was such an inspiration to oh. so many people. Um, an incredible, incredible woman, really. Um, and as you say, she did not pass away from any anything linked to depression. No, but, I mean, she was doing um, brilliantly. I mean, anyone that's ever met Cindy, I've known Cindy for quite a few years because um, I do a lot of stuff with SADAG. And whenever we have workshops um, for media, we do Cindy as a speaker. Um, Cindy was always willing to be there for everyone and anyone in the media, we all absolutely love Cindy. She was just, you'd, you know, I'd usually meet her in one particular coffee shop and I'd walk in the door or I'd be there first and this woman would come in with this huge smile and arms wide open to greet you. She would, she loved life and she was doing well. She was doing brilliantly, but yeah, she unfortunately was. she did have some of the comorbidities for um, COVID and yeah, sadly she passed away. Very that sadly. was, that was incredibly sad. And I mean, she, she had all these, these ups and downs in her earlier life. And, yes. you know, the, yeah, the, these, these highs, these lows, the, you know, the, the, those, as the behaviors where she used to just really go off the rails and, mm. um, but overcame and became a doctor. But what's also interesting is, um, her name is Menzel, but actually Cindy is a black lady from Zimbabwe. And she married a white Afrikaans um, man, hence the name Van Zale. Yeah. And she's got two little boys. And, you know, colour didn't matter to Cindy. But what was important was in her community, in the black community, and you all, there's other voices in the book tell the same story. Of course, saying you have a mental illness, when she was first diagnosed and put into hospital here in Johannesburg, her mother was horrified. She, she was dreading telling her mother, and her mother said, look, whatever you do, please don't tell anyone why you're in the clinic. Yes. Um, you know, it was a taboo, and I think very much in many cultures are only yes. included. It is a taboo, and it shouldn't be. I mean, as you said, and we keep going back to it, it is an illness. It's an illness of the brain, just like you could have an illness of the heart, the kidneys, whatever. But and her mother in the black yeah. community, it is still seen as many things, uh, you know, that you've had a curse put on you or whatever, the ancestors are unhappy with you. And that's why I try to include as many different types of people in the book, you know, to talk to their communities as well. 
Absolutely. Let's go back to something you mentioned um, before that is such an important um, point. Quite a few of the stories point to depression that was brought on by, well, not brought on, but incidents of bullying. Ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, ah. Oh, that's a big ah. Oh. Yes, it is. In fact, I meet, we've got a meeting next week. That's my next project. I thought it would be my next book, but do you know what? Janice, it is so big. It's so much more than a book. Bullying, yes, there's a lot of stories in the book where bullying comes out, that these people were bullied at school. And, of course, we've seen just in the last week that horrendous story of that young woman who was physically assaulted and had been bullied and, of course, took her own life. Um, And this is not uncommon. And, you know, bullying isn't just for children. Why I say this, when we started talking about it, um, I realize that, yes, you can get bullied at school. In fact, there's bullying at preschool, bullying at primary school, high school, wherever. And then there's bullying in the workplace. There can be bullying in a relationship. Uh, You know, it's hard to imagine that a parent doesn't know that their child is a bully. One often also always occurred to me, are the parents bullies? Is this what made them bullies? So that is my next big project is definitely going to be around bullying. It is horrendous. And parents... Please be aware of your kids and what's going on in school. And if someone comes to you and said, your kid's bullying mine, don't think my little darling would never do that. Look into it. And the same with teachers. You know, if a kid comes to you and say they're being bullied, a lot of teachers dismiss it. That's so wrong. You know, look into it, especially when it's a five, six-year-old. They don't really even understand. They won't use the word bullying, maybe. That kid's being nasty to me. It happens. It does happen, and I heard a very similar conversation on another radio station earlier this week, um, obviously relating to the same incident that we were speaking about, about this young girl who was physically and viciously um, bullied and went home and took her own life. I mean, immediately after it happened, I mean, she went home, took pills and died. And this conversation was happening on another radio station, and about what, what creates a bully, why do children bully, and one of, I think it was even one of the presenters, he said that he was bullied, and because he was bullied, he then became a bully. So, and and there was a lot of, a lot of talk about um, schools having to be vigilant, and, and a discussion about, yes, schools need to be vigilant, but it comes from homes, and there was an argument going on about, well, who needs to be more vigilant, the home, the school? You know, we're a community. You know, communities need to raise children. You know, it's, you know, it takes a village. Yes. Um, it's, we are all the village. Absolutely. It needs to be done together. It needs to be done in partnership. And, um, you know, as you say, this is just, it's huge. It's bigger than a book. Yes. You and, know, teach your children to be kind. Um, you know, not that I've got this and you haven't got this or whatever it is. You know, there was all sorts of bullying instances in the book and it definitely affects a, a, a child's mental state and it doesn't go away. I mean, that it doesn't go undervalue away. the child so they grow up you know, thinking they're lesser than they are or they'll never be whatever they want to be because that person told me I'm useless, that person told me I'm fat, whatever it is, you know. The sad um, thing, though, is that, that I'm finding that 
we're saying to our children, be kind, be kind. We're trying to encourage this um, culture of kindness. But kindness in itself is ridiculed. Mm. And it's that that in itself is like, oh, you know, and and you've got on the other side people telling their kids, toughen up. It's a tough world. You know, it's 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 difficult out there. And you've it got is, to be strong yes. and, you know, and kindness isn't going to get you anywhere. For me, um, what has changed over the years, and you'll also see in the book in the stories, that a lot of these people said at least when they were being bullied at school, they went home, closed the door, and the bullying ended. Well, unfortunately today, we yes, have social media. Yes, that doesn't happen. And that's going to be a big chunk of this project. Um, there already, of course, has been an awful lot written and a lot of broadcasts on social media and the damage. Um, a friend of mine who is also a journalist, she was saying to me the other day that she went to fetch her child at school. He, she's got two boys, and the one, I think he's about 12, he gets in the car, and he straight away goes onto his phone. They get home, he goes to his bedroom, onto social media. And I think this is a pattern. So, you you know, that you don't know what they're going through. And when she asked him, especially boys, you know, what's happening? How was your day? You get a grunt, and they're buried in social media. And it, it's, look, it's intrusive to go into their social media, but there has to be a line somewhere that you are able to see what's going on in their lives as well. I'm not sure how you do that. My children are grown up. Wow. It's a difficult one because your child also needs their privacy. But, you know, a lot of stories are of children. And let me tell you that we've had at SADAG as young as six take their own life. Oh, my word. Yes, and a lot of it comes from, if you read overseas stories, it comes from social media and what's been going on. And, of course, the parents had no idea. Well, what what frightens me is that the amount of times there have been preventive measures put in place, that the schools are doing programs, mm. and, you know, the amount of times they're told, you know, the program, I mean, schools are, not all schools, I don't know what happens across the board, but there are preventive measures. There are, they are trying to, to, you know, I don't think we'll ever put a stop to it, mm-hmm. but they are trying to, to do what they can to, to sure. combat the bullying and the, you know, they, they put measures in place about social media. They, they tell them how to be careful how they use it and don't say what you wouldn't say to a person to their face. Don't do it online. But nothing seems to be helping. I think that's the disturbing factor. I just think it's awareness. Um, I, I agree with you. Schools, of course, are aware of it. And I think it, as, I, as you said also, that it's a mixture of the schools, the parents, and so on. And I think the same goes for, as I say, recognizing depression. Don't think that your three-year-old or your – I think they've now proven it can be a baby – is not mm-hmm. likely – depression only happens to older people. That's not true at all. no. And I think that the other disturbing factor is that the stories in these books, you, you spoke to adults who were talking about things that happened to them when they were children, but the same things are happening to our children today, and these are things that happened years ago. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back and unpack this further. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I am here with my guest, Marian Sher. We're talking about her book, Surfacing, People Coping with Depression and Mental Illness. I'm going to give you our numbers once again, our High FM 24-hour helpline, 800 
and also the number for the SADAG, South African Depression and Anxiety Group, the number for their 24-hour hotline, 0800-456-789. And um, as we've been saying, get help. If you feel you need help, don't wait. Call someone, get help. If you feel you can't speak to someone close to you, call one of those numbers. There is someone waiting on the other end of the line to speak to you. And don't feel that your your issue or whatever you're going through might be too small or not serious. If, if it's huge to you and it's something you can't cope with, call someone and they'll get you through it. Marion, before the break, we were talking about this bullying issue. And I said what disturbed me was the fact that the people you have these conversations with in the book – they mentioned bullying issues and things that happened to them when they were kids. And what I found most disturbing was that these same issues are still happening today. And I find it worrying that, you know, we always say the more things change, the more they stay the same. And that's very much the case. And, yes, yes. yeah, it's it's disturbing. Yeah, as I said, I mean, you've got bullying in the workplace as well, whether it's the boss or a manager or just someone who's in a slightly higher position or maybe somebody in the same position. And it comes to the point where you're dreading going into work. And we know jobs aren't plentiful at the moment. So, so I've had people say to me, yeah, I'm in this horrible situation at work, but I'm, I can't leave because where am I going to get another job in my field, you know? Uh, so it, it's a difficult one. Bullying never ends. And I mean, you could have a relationship bullying as we all know as well yeah of course but as you said I, i'm so pleased you said that get help i mean there's there's help out there um if you feel you haven't got enough medical aid to you know have visits whatever you'd be surprised that there's free help in a lot of ways medical aid do cover uh quite a lot actually of mental illness not enough uh, as much as they, they should. In fact, what happened in, for me in 2005, I was very lucky and I got awarded a Rosalind Carter Mental Health Journalism Fellowship. And Rosalind wow. Carter, the wife of President, late, not late, the um, past US President Jimmy Carter, and they're an incredible couple. And Mrs. Carter decided when, um, in fact, President Carter, before he was president, he was governor of Georgia, and she was told she was given some very good advice choose a cause and stick to it because you're going to be asked to you know be behind so many causes and she chose mental health and when president carter became president in the white house she her whole aim was to get mental health mental health sorry health insurance to give parity for mental health so in other words like any other health issue make mental health the same so if you've got x amount of visits to a heart specialist and so on and um, SADAC, we've been fighting for the same thing here with um, medical health insurance, and we're getting there slowly. And I mean, a lot of people, when I first went to an editor, I remember this. I, I Should I mention the magazine? Okay. <laughs> when it first started, and that was a long time ago, and I was involved with the start of mental health, and I said to the editor then, who's long gone, but I said to him, I want to write a story about men and depression. He said, no, you can't do that. It will depress my readers. 
A lot has changed, thank God, since yeah. then. And I must say, I must give a shout out to Sipla, the pharmaceutical company who sponsored this book to a large degree. And they are so behind um, mental health. It, it's just amazing. They also have a hotline as well that they've sponsored at SADAG. So yes. people like that, more and more people are coming to the party, if I can put it to you this way. A lot of companies are giving their staff mental health wellness days and, and having people come in and talk through SADAG or whoever, talk about depression. Um SADAG organizes their counselors to go into schools and talk about the you know, suicide or depression or whatever it is, anything to link to mental health issues. And that makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Something else that I, I want to do, to chat about that comes up in the book and, and also relates to, to this about, about getting more cover for it and, and obviously more awareness. Um, Zane Wilson mentioned, I mean, she, she suffers from panic disorder. An issue that came up with her was, was, incorrect medication being prescribed and although at the time they thought it was correct medication um you know there are doctors that that you know these disorders and these illnesses are not recognized by many of the doctors they 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 get diagnosed incorrectly um, incorrectly medicated i mean she went through manic phases because the medication was incorrect um you know, what do you do in cases like that? Well, I would like to point out that that was over 30 years ago. Um, since then, and Zane herself, of course, Zane founded um, SADAG, South African Depression Anxiety Group. She's a very, she's an incredible woman. Um, and that was over 30 years ago. So a lot has changed in terms of medication. Even in the last 10 years, psychiatric medication has changed massively. Unfortunately, not every GP is aware enough on mental health issues but if you go to a psychiatrist i would say it's very rare that a psychiatrist would give you purposely give you the well not purposely but give you the wrong medication having said that it sometimes takes for instance with bipolar or schizophrenia they do have to try a few even depression um antidepressants they might have to try a few different ones just to find what suits you yeah the gp is a gp you know they can't know everything some gps are better than others in terms of diagnosing mental health issues but that's what a psychiatrist does that's what they study for that's their job so i would recommend that whether again and if it's a child there are specialists in child psychiatry and in terms of therapy i mean you may not be clinically depressed that you need to be on a medication of course bipolar schizophrenia that's a whole different ball game yes. but depression it doesn't mean to say that you are going to need medication although i must tell you uh, to clear up a myth um antidepressants are not addictive you can be on them for six months 12 months 18 months whatever and you can come off them maybe not completely immediately maybe half a day or one every so many days whatever your a medical practitioner tells you but to go and even psychiatrists will tell you as well as taking medication seeing a therapist is really important to someone to talk to that you can say anything to things you won't say to your family and i haven't met anyone yet that said you know that wasn't great that was the best experience and why didn't they do it years ago and and the important thing is also to Obviously, take your medication as prescribed oh. to um, take it carefully, obviously, to 
the dosages are important to work, you know, the dosages, start, you start on the low dosages, you work your way up to the higher dosages, and when you come off the medication, you wean yourself off the medication. I think yeah, that's important as well. Yeah, you need a professional to advise yes. you. I mean, there's no one case fits all. You need someone to say, do yes. this, do that. So you do need advisement um, on that. And we're talking about the more serious disorders yes. like bipolar, panic um, disorder. But as I say, bipolar and schizophrenia, they are lifelong illnesses and they yes. are severe. But depression can be a bout of depression. Um, panic disorder is very easily, again, these days, very easily controllable. Uh, you know, all of these things now are much easier than when Zane was diagnosed over 30 years yes. ago with her panic disorder. Yeah. 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 Okay, we will take a quick break and then we will be back to wrap up. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am back and I'm chatting to Marion Sher. We've been talking about her book, Surfacing, People Coping with Depression and Mental Illness. And as you just heard the number for our 24-hour Chai FM helpline, and I'll give you the number for the SADAG helpline too, 24 hours, for the South African Depression and Anxiety Group helpline. It's 0800-456-789. And as you just heard, obviously goes without saying that all calls are completely confidential. As we said before, don't hesitate to call and speak to someone if you feel that you need to, and it is often um, easier to speak to someone you don't know um, than it is to speak to someone who is close to you, a family member, even a friend. Um, so pick up the phone and call if you feel that you are having an issue that is overwhelming, something that you are not coping with. Marion, um, obviously we cannot put the world to rights in just an hour. I wish we could. But I think that this book is quite a triumph. It goes a long way in starting conversations about issues that, that previously people may have been averse to because purely, because I don't want to use the word ignorance, but just things that people don't know about. And I think that they're topics that we've been, they've been misunderstood. We've been given incorrect information in the past and I mean like you mentioned in the book um, schizophrenia um, in Charlene's story mm -hmm. you know um, like you say I mean we always think that schizophrenia is someone who who is like two or three or four different people and um, I think when she went on the radio she did an interview and someone sent a message in to say that she didn't look like she had schizophrenia. And she said, what was she supposed to look like? And that is a difficulty with someone who has a mental illness. It's one of those, you know, what are you supposed to look like? It's not something you see on the outside. It's it's all about what goes on in the inside. That's yes, what makes it so difficult. It's often called a silent illness because you yes. can't see. In Charlene's case, 
Yes, she she really had quite a journey, um, and she's doing brilliantly. And she's got she was asked to run a worldwide organisation now to create awareness and help people around schizophrenia. Schizophrenia people automatically use it almost as an adjective that yes. they're schizophrenic, meaning they've got more than one personality. And yes. in fact, it was disproved about nearly twenty years ago that there is no such thing as a split personality. You know, again, it's misinformation. Yes, um, like I say, that's that's why. But if we don't yes. talk about yeah. it, this is it. Yeah. I mean, it all and, comes, I wrote the book, and thank you so much for your very kind comments on it. First of all, whenever I write anything, I always have a, a motto, passion for myself, is that what's the point of writing something if no one's going to read it? So yeah. I like to write what's called page turners. And that was my idea with the book. It, the original title was going to be Stories of Hope, because I don't want people to think it's all doom and gloom. And there are funny moments, even with Charlene, with Sipo Similani, yeah. who tried to take his life three yes. times in one day. I mean, his story is hilarious. We were sitting roaring with laughter at his stories. I mean, it's really funny. And I said to him, you know, you, you should go on a roadshow with a story, because it, it's, it's so real, it's so human. And there was a lot of moments of humor in these stories. But the main thing is, Get to get people to talk about it. You know, with I always it's remember with Oprah starter. Winfrey. You know, people say, "Did you see Oprah last night? Did you see her, the story that was on it?" And it, that, yeah. Oprah made people talk. Yes, and and unfortunately, we have to leave it there. But thank you so so much. This is a vital conversation. As I say, we can't put the world to rights. We can't, you know, inform everybody just within one hour. But thank you so much. I so appreciate your time this morning. Well, thank you. Thanks, Janice. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. And to you listening, as I say always, take care of yourself and each other, wear your mask and read a book.